opening statement. There's no such thing as a free lunch. That's good. I like it. <laughs> Man, I jumped on that. No, I was going for a dumb question, but free lunch works too. I like it. Um, and in fact, if you see a visitor, take them for a free lunch after church. Um, you know, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Ever heard that one? I mean, I feel like I've heard it and said it, you know, many times in my life. Uh, sometime around 1732, Johann Sebastian Bach wrote some cantata music to go along with some lyrics that a friend of his had put together. And these were part of those lyrics. If I couldn't three times a day be allowed to drink my little cup of coffee, in my anguish, I will turn into a shriveled up roast goat. Yeah, right there. Um, That's part of the reason that line is part of the reason that that cantata is known as the coffee cantata. A real deal. So with that said, I I think I just want to do this just to make sure that no one ever turns in to a roast goat. Maybe we could say the only dumb question would be, do you want any coffee this morning, right? I mean, that could be the only dumb question in the world uh, because we all might need a little coffee every now and then. Sometimes dumb questions are not just dumb. They're more like they're annoying. You know, like when someone asks the same question over and over and over and over again. It's interesting, though. I was reading something this week, and a CEO of a media company said this about questions that are asked over and over and over again. He said, it's still a good question because I'm learning something in the process. Either I'm not explaining myself well enough or the person doesn't care to learn the answer. That's good. That that works. In other words, we probably could say there's no such thing as a dumb question because even the question that seems dumb to us is one that's helping us learn no matter what. They all help us learn. They all help us to move forward. One day Jesus was talking to his closest friends, and he told them that they already knew the way that he was going. They, They knew the road that he was going to take. But one of them, Thomas, he, he had a question about that. He, he asked Jesus a question. And for us today, looking back all of these years later, we might look at that question and say, well, that's, that's just a dumb question. Man, that, that was just silly. But in that moment, that question provided the greatest answer that has ever been given to any question ever. So, what's the question that he asked? What's the answer? Let's find out. John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? In just a few hours from this moment, Jesus is going to be arrested. He is going to be brutally tortured sentenced to death and then brutally executed on a cross outside of Jerusalem. He told his disciples all of that was going to happen. In fact, he told them right before Thomas asked his question. And so when Thomas asked his question, the whole room is in shock. They're trying to figure out, what in the world, Jesus? You're telling us you're going to be arrested and, and executed? So the whole room is in shock. Their world has been turned upside down. They're a little bit rattled. And then Thomas says, well, we, we don't know 
where you're going? So right before he asks that question, Jesus encourages them. So he, he drops this bombshell on them. And then he says this one other thing. He says what? Do not let your heart be troubled. Here's the worst news you've probably ever heard in your life. But don't let your heart be troubled. Why? This is what he says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So they're in a a state of trauma, a state of shock. They're confused. They don't know what's happening. And Jesus comforts them by saying, hey, keep believing in me. Keep believing in me. Don't turn away from me. And why would he tell them to do that? Because believing in him was going to lead to life, eternal, everlasting life. Life full and free and satisfying forever and ever and ever. And if everlasting life and everlasting satisfaction weren't going to be enough, Jesus said, oh yeah, by the way, I'm also going to prepare a place just for you in God's house. There's going to be a place just for you. So perfect, everlasting, satisfying life in the perfect, most satisfying home in the universe. That, that's the offer. That sounds like a pretty good setup. But for some reason, Thomas didn't get it. <laughs> he didn't get it. You know, he's popularly known as Doubting Thomas. But I've heard more accurately, we should call him Honest Thomas. Because Thomas, you weren't going to pull one over on him. He, he wanted facts. He wanted truth. He didn't want blind faith. He wanted authentic faith that was based on authentic truth. So he asked a question. He says, Jesus, I'm a little confused. So you said you're leaving us. And you're saying that we aren't going with you. But then you're saying we know where you are going. We we don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, what is happening? Help us out here. See, Thomas was actually thinking GPS. He was thinking there was some actual location. There was an actual road. There was a, a literal place on the map. He was completely focused on the here and now, and he was forgetting about the there and later completely wrapped up in in what was happening in the moment, the here and now, but forgetting about the promises of God in the there and later. Somebody said it's almost like what he's doing is he's looking for his glasses, but they're on top of his head. It's, It's right there in front of him, but he can't see it. But Jesus wants him to see it. So how does Jesus respond to the question? This is what Jesus said, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So praise God for old doubting Thomas because his question provided the greatest answer that has ever been given. The greatest answer. And the reason we say it's the greatest answer is because of this. It impacts your life today. And it impacts your death today. 
The reason this is the greatest answer that has ever been given to a question is because it affects and impacts everything about who we are today, and it impacts everything about what happens after we breathe our last. So this is the answer above all answers. And what Jesus is saying is this, I am the way because I am the truth and I am the life. He is making a claim that that cannot be confusing. Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms that he is the way to God. There's not another option. And these words from Jesus are why so many people say that Christians are intolerant and mean and rude and hateful and bigoted and so many other things. But remember, the only reason this is our claim is because this was his claim. We are following after the claim of Jesus. And Jesus says he is the only way because he is the only truth And he is the only life. In other words, he is the ultimate reality. Jesus is the ultimate reality. Your tax bill is not the ultimate reality. Our government is not the ultimate reality. A pandemic is not the ultimate reality. Your retirement is not an ultimate reality. Your family is not an ultimate reality. How do I know that? Well, because every president and every politician and every pastor and every parent and every physician and every prescription and every popcorn making machine and every other word that starts with P and every other word in the alphabet that starts with any letter, all of those things are subject to change. Subject to, to change. Everything in the universe shifts and moves and is uncertain. You are not the same person right now that you were an hour ago. But you definitely are not the same person you were yesterday. You may think you are. You may think, well, I've been about the same guy, I've been about the same gal for the last 40 years. But you're not. You're completely different. All of us are different. It is impossible for us not to shift. It is impossible for us not to change. Everything about the world is uncertain except Jesus. Jesus doesn't change. He doesn't shift. He is the same today and yesterday and forever. There's nothing about Jesus that changes. And that's why Jesus says he's the truth. He didn't say he would just teach us the truth. He said that he was the truth. Someone might say, well, truth's relative. You know, truth is is something that's changed. You know, it's one of those things. You said it's changed over time. So, So we know a lot more than when Jesus was around. We know more about science. We know more about nature. We know more about medicine. We, we're, we're more cultured. We, we know more things. So, so Jesus may have said he was the truth, but we know more now, so, so we know that he wasn't really the truth. So let's set that down into you know, kind of the, the mantra of our world, so to speak, and that is that all roads lead to heaven, that all roads lead to God, that all religions are right, that all philosophies work, that everything just kind of flows together, that if you sincerely believe in something, then, then it's right, it's good, it's okay, it works. Those are the notions of the culture that we live in. But does that make any sense? I mean, really, does it, does it make any logical and reasonable sense to say that everybody is right? Does it make any logical, reasonable sense to say that that everybody really can get their own way? 
I came across an interesting way of thinking about this. Imagine if I were to tell you that I was a British saddleback pig. Yeah, it's, it's a real thing, yeah. British saddleback pig. Now, some of you have eaten with me. You, you may say that I eat like a pig, okay? But, but no, I, I were to tell you that I am a British saddleback pig. That, that's what I am. I am a British saddleback. I don't know. I guess I need an accent. I'm a British. That's not British. Well, that was, uh, forget the accent. But let's just say that I'm a British saddleback pig, okay? So, so I give that to you. You're not going to think that I'm a British saddle. No matter how sincerely I tell you I believe I am a British saddleback pig, you know that I'm not a pig. You know that. You know you're not going to believe it. Something has to be true. Something has to be right. Everything can't be true. Everything can't be right. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. There has to be some kind of objective standard, otherwise everything would be true. And that makes absolutely no sense. That's illogical. It's, it's irrational. It's, it's unreasonable to think that everybody's answer is the right answer. I mean, that's not what Miss Dixon told me in algebra in high school, you know? I mean, that's that's not how political elections work, you know, at the end of the day, you know, somebody wins and somebody loses. That's not how things work with the IRS, right? I mean, you, you don't get to say, well, I think that number's wrong. Here's my number, and I think it's right. So, so nothing in the universe really works that way where everybody's answer is right and, and everybody's answer is true. There's a line from a, a Christian rap song from a few years back that goes like this. Somebody told me there was no such thing as truth. I said, if that's the case, then why should I believe you? So so if you're saying, well, look, there's no such thing as truth. Well, if that's true, then I shouldn't believe you. (laughs) If there's no such thing as truth, then, then no one is right about anything. And that's irrational. That's unreasonable. That's illogical. Something has to be true. Something has to be right. And that's the rub with Christianity. See, the rub with Christianity is that the Christianity of all the other religions really kind of demonstratively says we, we have truth. We have ultimate truth that, that applies to all people in all states, in all countries, at all times in history. And that claim is why Christianity is, generally speaking, one of the most hated religions in the world. Because it seems intolerant and narrow. But remember, the claim that we have is our claim because it was the claim of Jesus. It's what Jesus said. So we live and repeat the truth about Jesus because we have been compelled that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. There's a story about a missionary many years ago that was lost in the jungle. And he came up on this hut and this man was standing out in front of the hut and the missionary said, hey, is there any way you could help me get out of the jungle? The man said, sure, I can help you do that. 
And so they set out. They both had their big machetes, and they're, they're hacking you know, through, the, through the bush, trying to get through the jungle. And after about an hour of this, the missionary says to the man, look, I'm not trying to be rude, but I mean, I, do you know where you're going? I mean, I haven't seen the path yet. And the man laughed, and he said, out here, I am the path. There's no path. I am the path. So what what we share, what we proclaim, what we believe is that Jesus is the path, the only path to God. He didn't give us another option. He didn't give us another philosophy. He didn't give us another sincere belief. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It is our only message. The message never changes. Now, many people will say that Jesus is a That he's a way to God. That he's one of of many ways to God. But Jesus didn't leave that as an option. Jesus didn't say he was a way. Jesus didn't say he was going to just show us the way. Jesus said he is the way. He is the only way. Access to God only comes through him. Now that is narrow. That is intolerant. That doesn't go with the flow. But those are the words of Jesus. They're difficult words, but they're also words full of grace and mercy and love and care for your soul. Christianity may be labeled as intolerant, but if you really look at the facts, Christianity is one of the most tolerant religions in the world. I was reading about this the other day. It says, Christianity is the one religion to embrace other cultures and has the most urgency to translate the scriptures into other languages. See, we don't go into other places and say, you better learn how to read our English Bible or you're going to hell. No. We send people in with Wycliffe Bible translators and and other ministry groups, and, and they go live in these communities for years trying to translate the truth of the gospel so that they can hear it in their own language. Christians are able to keep their native language, their native cultures. They're they're able to keep who they are. The gospel goes into a community, and the gospel doesn't say, you have to look like Holland Avenue Baptist Church. We don't want Christian Eugenia to to make the children's home look like our church. Why? It's completely different. It's a completely different ministry, a different language. We want the gospel to go there and to spread. Christianity, you set it among all the other philosophies, all the other religions of the world, and you will see that it is extremely kind, extremely gracious, extremely tolerant. When you look at other religions, do you see other religions adjusting and cooperating like that? When you look at other philosophies, when you look at liberal philosophies or conservative politics or the IRS tax laws, do you see any of those things adjusting and cooperating the way Christianity does, the way the the gospel does? You set Christianity among all the other things in the world and you will see that Christianity will tell you, you don't have to wear a certain thing and you don't have to say a certain thing you don't have to pray a certain thing and you don't have to visit a certain place for you to be right with God. Jesus, he didn't say you have to be a a part of a certain type of church or believe in a certain denominational creed 
or wear a, a certain type of clothes or sing a certain type of music or belong to a, a certain political party or, or a certain anything. Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, I understand your question. Let me help you. The answer is me. I'm it. Thomas, the answer you're looking for is me. I am the visible truth of God. I am the visible life of God. Therefore, I am the way to God. Here's the funny thing. Those are words from a dead man walking, as the phrase goes. Leon Morris put it this way. I am the way said the one who would shortly hang powerless on a cross. I am the truth when the lies of evil men were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. I am the life when within a few hours his corpse would be placed in a tomb. So, so what's the difference? What gives Jesus the right to make the claim that he's the way and the truth and the life. Well, what makes the difference is he didn't stay dead. He, he rose from the grave. Every other religious leader, every other political leader, every other leader throughout history, they died and they stayed dead, but not Jesus. Jesus is risen from the dead. It's not just past tense. It is current. It is present. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus didn't just come back you know, with some vague reincarnation as another person. Jesus didn't come back as some vague reincarnation of a, a British saddleback pig. No, there's no reincarnation. This is Jesus alive from the dead. The Jewish and, and Greek and Roman historians, they wrote extensively about the evidence and the effects of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave. So these claims that he's making to his friends, three days later, he backed them all up. He boldly backed them all up. He made sure all of those things came true. Jesus conquered death. Therefore, he opens the way to God. He confirms the truth about God, and he brings the life of God to you. That makes Jesus the supreme way and the supreme truth and the supreme life. This is who he is. The old song says it this way, Crown him with many crowns. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Matchless. Matchless. That means there's nobody like him. That means there's nobody who will ever be like him. He is the matchless king. There is no one like him. I realize it may sound intolerant, it may sound bigoted, it may sound mean, it may sound hateful. It may sound hokey and culturally irrelevant. It may sound like a bunch of hippie, dippy baloney. Okay? However, with love and mercy and grace and hope, we are compelled to say that Jesus loved you and gave himself up for 
And we are compelled to say that his message to you has never changed. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And there is no way to be right with God apart from Jesus. So, are you right with God? Is Jesus your way? Is Jesus your truth? Is Jesus your life? And maybe let's set that down into maybe more of the reality of today. So are you concerned about things in the world? Are you concerned about the the current economic atmosphere? Are you concerned about the the current political atmosphere? Are you concerned about the, the current immorality spreading throughout our country and the world? And are you concerned about, about what that's going to do to the future of our country and the future of the world? Are you concerned about you know, new, new policies, new health guidelines, new legislation, and how it's going to impact what it means to be a free Christian? Or are you concerned about these things? Well, good. We should be. It is good, it is wise, it is justified to be concerned. But being concerned and being angry are not the same things. Being concerned and being apathetic are not the same things. Being concerned and panicking are not the same things. Being concerned and losing your ever-loving mind on social media about all of it is not the same thing. Being concerned is good. It is right. It is justified. But there is an ultimate answer for our concern. What is the ultimate answer for our anger, for our panic, for our fear, for our frustration? What is the ultimate answer for our discouragement? What is the ultimate answer for the concerns in your life? What is the ultimate answer for the concerns after your life is over? What is the answer? What is the answer? There's a lot of answers. But what is the answer? A Hindu follower once asked the missionary E. Stanley Jones this question. Dr. Jones, what has Christianity to offer that our religion has not? And Dr. Jones simply responded to him, Jesus Christ. Listen, it may sound like hippie, dippy, intolerant baloney, but Jesus is the answer your soul is longing for the most. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the